Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Leader. As you know, on Wednesday evening, detectives investigating the disappearance of Sarah Everard discovered a body secreted in Woodland in Kent. The body has now been recovered and a formal identification procedure has been undertaken. I can now confirm that it is the body of Sarah Everard. Met Police Assistant Commissioner Nick Effgrave stood outside Scotland Yard to confirm what we'd all feared. The death of Sarah Everard has been met with outrage by the public, something that was acknowledged by Mr Effgrave. I know that the public feel hurt and angry about what has happened. And those are sentiments that I share personally, and I know my colleagues here at Scotland Yard and across the Met share as well. I also recognise the wider concerns that are being raised quite rightly about the safety of women in public spaces in London and also elsewhere in the country. I want to say now that this organisation and the men and women in it remain committed to protecting Londoners wherever they are in this city. A serving Met officer is in custody after being arrested on suspicion of Sarah's murder. Our Home Affairs editor Martin Bentham is here. And Martin, this investigation is ongoing, but Scotland Yard itself is having to answer a lot of questions, isn't it? Yeah, well, there's been, there's been five referrals to the Independent Office of Police Conduct. A couple of them relate to the, the Met officer who's a suspect in this case. Any officer who's a, suspected of committing a crime, there'll be a referral. So that's, that's a couple of them. There's also one in relation to whether they acted appropriately in conducting the search for Sarah Everard, acted quickly enough. Again, I don't think there's any any question that they didn't do that job properly but again that's a sort of mandatory requirement for them to refer that on and then there's one about the self-harm incident involving the suspect in the police station and the most challenging one probably is the investigation which has been taken over by the independent office of police conduct into the fact that it now emerges that the suspect was also uh, the suspects in a indecent exposure incident on the 28th of February. Uh, Sarah Everard disappeared on the 3rd of March, so three days before. Um, it, it turns out that he was the suspect in a indecent exposure incident at what's described as a fast food restaurant, I think it's a McDonald's, South London somewhere. Why is that one the most challenging for the Met Police, Martin? The initial impression might be that there was a sort of missed opportunity there, that somehow or other that he could have been arrested and pursued. And, and of course, the, at first sight, it might look as if our blind eye was turned to it because he was a police officer and so on. Now, I understand that isn't the case at all. What actually has happened is that, and this is the interesting new detail that we're disclosing today, is that they didn't know that the suspect in that indecent exposure case was... The police was a police officer. What had actually happened was that the incident had been reported, I think, online 
officers had been assigned to it. They'd done a number plate check on the vehicle concerned. They got a name back. What they hadn't known and realised when they got the name back was that was the name of a police officer. Obviously, when you get the name back in relation to a vehicle, it doesn't automatically tell you what job somebody's doing, even if they're a police officer. And, and what hadn't yet happened was any further uh, pursuit of the case to see who that person was. I, oh, clearly, if they'd actually gone to visit him and so on, they would have identified and realised that he was a police officer and then you know, more serious action would have followed because it's for a police officer, it's a matter of group misconduct to do something of that sort. And they're looking into him further now, aren't they, Martin? Well, um, what happens is, of course, when, when somebody is arrested for this type of offence, the police will start looking back and seeing you know, what what is the cause of it, what, what's led up to this. And clearly, although there's now this re- revelation of an indecent exposure incident a few days before, clearly one concern for the police is, is that it? Has there been further activity, further criminal activity beforehand? So as part of their investigations, they're looking back at his previous career, which was outside the police and his previous and, and his life in general, trying to establish what else might have happened. He remains in custody being questioned. Uh, the custody time limit will expire, um, not today, but tomorrow. There's a ticking time clock in terms of the custody uh, time limits that they can hold people for. That they have to do it immediately, make bring a charge, but that will that point will come fairly soon. So this Sarah Everard case, Martin, has provoked considerable emotion, particularly among women who are concerned about how safe the streets of London are. Has this been difficult reputationally? for Scotland Yard? Well, it, to an extent, and obviously what is not ideal for them is that the, the suspect in this case is a, a mess officer. Yeah, so from that point of view, it's not desirable. I think in the broader issue, it's quite difficult. What a lot of women have been concerned about clearly is the a sort of a lower level of offending against them that makes their lives uncomfortable, people making unpleasant remarks to them and so on and sort of general harassment. The question is, how easy is it for the police to be able to deal with that type of conduct when it happens and having a mass presence on the streets which they just don't realistically have the numbers to do uh, and to deal with those things so I, I suppose that's the question and then obviously what the law actually allows them to do if somebody's engaged in some unsavory behavior which is short of physical attacks and so on in a way not every problem can be solved by the police some of these problems are behavioural issues and to do with people's general attitudes to life and upbringing and so on. And I think some of that needs to be addressed as much as anything to do with what the police go. And in fact, if you look at the broader issues of some of the things that have also been mentioned, as I say, like domestic abuse and uh, rape and so on, well, there are, there are issues there for the criminal justice system more broadly, but that's not solely about the police. You can read more from Martin at standard.co.uk and follow our live blog for breaking news. Let's do an ad break now. Follow the leader by hitting the button on your podcast provider. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Lawrence Fox has caused a bit of a row with an interview with The Evening Standard in which he's broken with the consensus about encouraging Londoners to get the COVID vaccine. I think vaccine is like, um, it's the same as voting. So it's like, uh, you know, it's up to each private individual to decide what they wish to do in terms of a vaccine. So, and I think that should be a sovereign choice. You can read the interview online at standard.co.uk along with a video. And it was done by our City Hall editor, Ross Lydell. Ross, he said more about coronavirus, didn't he? Yes, I had the chance to interview Lawrence Fox at length yesterday face-to-face. He'd asked for a a face-to-face interview. So uh, I and my camera woman and uh, photographer were there with their masks on. He chose not to wear his. Uh, He greeted us with elbow bumps and we sat hopefully far enough apart. And uh, one of the questions sort of midway through the interview was, you know, have you had COVID then, Lawrence? And he said, yes, I think I did have it uh, around Christmas time, although he said he had the symptoms but it tested negative for it. However, and I then asked, what's your view on the vaccine? Will you agree to have the vaccine? Uh, Essentially, he wouldn't say whether he was going to have it or not because he said people had a sovereign choice uh, to decide whether or not to get vaccinated. Uh, Now, this obviously is quite controversial because it goes against the narrative from public figures and authorities encouraging us to get the vaccine, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. And I pressed them on this and said, you know, don't you have an obligation as a Londoner to get it to prevent you transmitting infection to others? That's when he said, well, it depends really what we decide, whether we have any sort of personal obligation to others. So this is obviously quite an extreme view, but it may be a view that some others share. And uh, we thought it particularly newsworthy to cover in a, a measured way in today's paper. He also talked about some of the consequences of lockdown. He was claiming that there were thousands of cancer deaths being caused by this uh, and being forgotten by what he called the Prosecco Zoom class. I mean, he's uh, he's definitely trying to provoke people in this election, isn't he? Yes, you know, the Prosecco Zoom class may um, sort of come as a bit of a sharp jab to... Uh, many of us listening to this podcast, perhaps, David, and uh, I don't mind a glass of fizz myself, I have to admit, but I can see what he means. He's basically saying that the middle classes, although he's obviously a very well-to-do chap himself, have basically gone along with the government's narrative, while those who try and make a living on a day-to-day basis and haven't been furloughed and need to put food in the mouths of others have had a very hard time and really need things reopening as soon as possible. In general, his point was that the most vulnerable people in the country have been vaccinated, so therefore, what are we waiting for? Uh, and he also seemed, he said that uh, people under 50 uh, with no underlying health conditions had not been at substantial risk of death from COVID. So these were his points. He said basically it's time now to get a shift on uh, and he was basically standing on a double platform trying to urge Boris to 
release us from lockdown quicker than schedule and also to really rail against what he called a sort of anti-woke agenda and this sort of curbs as he sees it on free speech. And of course, I mean, the Mayor of London has a lot of power, but the Mayor of London can't lift lockdown, can they? That's right. I put this to him and said, you know, you're essentially misleading people because you're implying or suggesting to voters that by voting for you, uh, we can release London from lockdown. And he said, well, no, I accept that. He said, but the mayor, the position of mayor is one of immense power, lobbying power. And he said, basically, if he ended up in City Hall with more than a million votes to his name, that would be almost impossible for Boris to ignore. So yeah, he takes it on board. It's not within the mayor's powers, but he's probably correct in saying that if suddenly, you know, 60 odd percent of Londoners voted for him because they want lockdown ended ASAP, uh, that would be a... Uh, quite an intervention on the the whole narrative of the pandemic. Is Lawrence Fox, an independent candidate, really likely to be sitting in the mayor's office with a million votes, though? Is he going to beat the Labour powerhouse and the Conservative powerhouse and all the money that they have in these campaigns? Well, if you want a one-word answer, the answer is clearly no. Uh, There's probably no chance he will become mayor. Uh, One of the Financial Times' political correspondents last week uh, tweeted that if Lawrence Fox became mayor, he was prepared to eat a fox himself. So we'll hold uh, Jim Pickard to that. Although, you know, we have to go back to the start, though, and remember that the very first mayor of London was an independent and stood on his own little bandwagon, a certain Ken Livingston, who did rather well uh, as portraying himself as an outsider and a non-establishment figure. What uh, Lawrence Fox has to deal with here, obviously, is that he's up against a very strong mayor in Sadiq Khan, who the most recent polls this week showed that he had more than 50% support among Londoners. The reality could be that this uh, could make the election process and the election campaign a lot more interesting if he gets any sort of coverage. He's promised to go around town in his battle bus. He says he won't knock on doors because he wouldn't like something knocking on his own door, uh, but he will be out and he will be visible. But really, as it stands just now, it's a two-horse race between Sadiq Khan and Sean Bailey, the the Tory who's uh, not doing as well as he might hope, but he's still well ahead of the rest of the pack. And that's the leader. We're back on Monday at 4pm.